Welcome to Canthropod. This is episode 16, an interview with David McDougall by Raphael Dernbach. My name is Raphael Dernbach and I'm a PhD candidate at the Center for Film and Screen and the Department of German at University of Cambridge. I was recently co-organizing an event series with members of the Division of Social Anthropology at Cambridge titled Observing Others. For several workshops, we invited filmmakers with an interest in anthropological theory. After one of our workshops, I sat down for an interview with our speaker, Professor David McDougall. McDougall is one of the world's leading ethnographic filmmakers and can look back at 40 years of experience making ethnographic films. His works won numerous awards, among them the Grand Prix at the Venice Film Festival in 1972. This prize was awarded to his film To Live With Herds, about a semi-nomadic people in Uganda and their struggle with government policy. More recently, his film Ghani's Children won the Grand Prize at the 2009 Astra Film Festival. This film documents the life of orphans in a shelter in India and is a continuation of McDougall's long-lasting interest in institutions for children in India. Next to filmmaking, McDougall has published broadly on documentary and ethnographic cinema. He is the author of the books Transcultural Cinema from 1998 and The Corporeal Image, Film, Ethnography and the Senses from 2005. David McDougall lives in Australia, where he is presently adjunct professor at the Research School of Humanities at the Australian National University in Canberra. As a start, I asked David McDougall where he sees the particular capacity of audiovisual recording for ethnography. Well, I think there are many, many ways that um, film can be used. I, I suppose one of one of the ways was really suggested to us by um, the the sort of neo-realist Italian cinema of the post-war period, which was a kind of um, way of registering. Um, the practice of everyday life and but crucial to those films was also narrative and Zavattini was a marvelous screenwriter and so a film like Bicycle Thieves although it's um, at one level that has this appearance of you know realism and spontaneity is very cleverly and carefully scripted and quite apart from the use of music, which is throughout. You know, we tend to forget the way these films uh, were constructed. But but I think for us, um, the first thing we were trying to do was to get away from film as a didactic medium, where you were told by a voice of God and an omniscient voice what to think about the images that you were shown so that those films they were all built around a text basically in the films the film segments served as um, illustrations for the text um, and I think also we were trying to get away from the style of the the, the camera style and the editing style of um, conventional uh, fiction film um, structure the the 
the way in which a camera was used as a kind of omniscient eye. So we're moving now from the omniscient voice to this omniscient eye, which could be anywhere in a scene. Um, and rep actually represented nobody's point of view who was participating in the scene. It represented something from the imagination of the filmmaker. Um, and when it works well, I mean, it's marvelous. It's cinema. But um, in terms of anthropology, you, you had to ask the question, you know, whose point of view does this represent? And, and so I think our, our uh, tendency was to try to make films that represented somebody's perspective on the scene, and that was the filmmaker's perspective, uh, visual perspective initially, but um, in a more general sense, uh, the filmmaker's positioning within the event. Uh, so although we perhaps were rejecting certain camera styles and editing styles, we were also very receptive to the idea of narrative and continue, continuity of space, continuity of action, coming out of neorealism, really, inspired by neorealism. And I said a bit yesterday about my feeling that narrative is not necessarily an enemy of anthropology, that in fact it may be one of the most valuable tools we have to understand how people experience mm -hmm. um, the, the so social forces around them, mm -hmm. acting upon them, which are often contradictory. Mm -hmm. How do they negotiate their way through that? And what, what's the importance of um, um, emotion in community life? So, rather than just talking about abstract forces like politics, ideology, mm -hmm. economics, which were the, the mainstay of um, British structural anthropology. Um. I think one prominent feature in the films that I've seen that you've made um, is that you also give cameras to your protagonist. Um, Only very recently. Okay. That's a recent um, what development. Could you, could you maybe explain a little bit the, the, the motivation behind it? I, I think it simply grew out of um, certain experiments that, that I was undertaking when I was making films that absolutely represented my, um, my analysis of life of children in these different inst institutions for children in India. And I suppose it was partly inspired by being at Rishi Valley School, which is based on the educational ideas of Krishnamurti, which are very close to those of figures like William James, John Dewey. Um, I had gone to a series of progressive schools in America that, that were very much influenced by, by these... Um, early 20th century thinkers like Dewey. Um, and Krishnamurti had very much the same approach to education of um, 
discovery through experience and not dictating to the child um, you know a body of knowledge but um, encouraging children in fact to be skeptical and critical in a way to to challenge authoritarian pronouncements about the world um, and to find out things for themselves and I think that you know chimed very well with the kinds of cinema that we were all investigating in the 60s in, in a documentary of um, you know shifting the balance away from authoritarian pronouncements toward uh, making films that gave the viewer a position in which they could make discoveries um, often multiple discoveries and even discoveries that the filmmaker hadn't thought of um, and so at Rishi Valley School I began to um, ask certain um, well generally I, I, I asked all the students to um, come to me if they had an interesting idea about how they could use a camera to explore some subject and so different students would come to me and um, we did a few of these little projects I would say fine I'd, I had an extra camera I'd let them use and um, they would go and film material and I tried in a few cases to document their projects with my camera um, so one of them was um, the school had a huge dairy farm and they the, the farm supplied all the school's milk, butter, cheese, etc. Um, <clears throat> so one, one student wanted to film the dairy farm and show how, how it functioned. Another wanted to do a project about people's hands huh. and what we could learn by looking closely at their hands. Um, that one didn't really work out in the end but the idea was interesting um, another was interested in um, the whole system of um, um, washing the clothes of all the students how this was done how the dobies the, the laundry people um, managed to collect all the clothing um, wash them dry them iron them and get them back to the there's the students without losing bits and pieces along the way. And he was very, a kind of natural ethnographer. I mean, he, he went and spent a lot of time talking to the Dobies and saying, yes, but how do you do this and that? And what happens if, you know, if a, a shirt loses its number because it was all based on numbering these items of clothing? Um, and they really responded well because he was searching for knowledge that they had and they, they were in the position of being the experts. Mm -hmm. And so he filmed a lot of that and he filmed um, the actual processes of them doing it, them talking about it, them doing it. And then he edited that material and then he took it back and showed it to them 
And I sort of followed along filming the various stages of this. What, what I really like about the example is that there are several layers of observation going on, right? Mm -hmm. So you have the ethnographer in the field who's observing the protagonist, mm -hmm. but you have also the protagonist who's observing and documenting yeah. somebody else. And there seems to be like a shared curiosity, I think. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, it was a natural extension of the fact that I was making my own films about groups of children, and individual children. Uh, so it was just an extension of that, in a way. Where would you see the limitations of that approach of, of, of giving a camera to a um, protagonist? Um, yeah, well, I think in, in, in all these cases, it's important that there be a, 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 a really um, precise focus. That, you know, that mm -hmm. cameras aren't just given out and, and you don't just say, oh, go and express yourself because you have to both have certain skills, you know, you can't just use an instrument not knowing how it works. That's the first premise. And the second, I think, is that um, you have to have a purpose in using it. Mm -hmm. So in all the workshops that I've done with children, that's been a key mm -hmm. factor that, um, that they choose something specific something that they've thought through a bit that's filmable because it's easy to say oh i'd love to make a film about um, friendship or mm -hmm. love or um, some abstract mm -hmm. idea but then what is there concrete to film you have to mm -hmm. it has to be expressed some through through something concrete concrete so uh, that i think was the reason for the success of those experiments. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the first exercises I quite often do is just say, um, go out and make one shot with, with the camera mm -hmm. and bring it back and we'll, we'll all look at your one shot. And I'd say it can be up to maybe two minutes long if you want. Um, and it should be a fixed frame. Don't move the camera. Don't use the zoom. Find a framing, you know. You can use the zoom to find a focal length, but then stick to that. And it's amazing the kind of um, um, philosophical and aesthetic uh, discussions that come out of looking at that material. You can generate almost all of cinema out of that exercise. And it does sound a little bit like early cinema. Yeah, all like those Lumiere. Lumiere, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and Lumiere for me has been a very uh, inspiring. And I've, I made a film really inspired completely by the, the early Lumiere films, in which every scene is only one shot. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but... Um, what happens when you get these shots back is that let's say you have six or eight children and they've each made a one shot. Um, some things are very, very evident immediately that some children have a sense of formal aesthetics and organization and certain kind of eye. And um, 
then it, it raises questions about, you know, how far is the camera from the subject? Some people are very close, others are far. Um, is it a kind of open frame or a closed frame? Is, are things coming in from the outside, crossing the frame? And do you have a sense of the world outside the frame? Or is, is this a filmmaker who's thinking of a kind of enclosed world within the frame of the film? Um, and then the children's personalities come out in other ways. Uh, and of course, obviously what they choose to film are they interested in people and their interactions? Are they interested in objects? Are they interested in processes? Um, how do they deal with this restriction of no moving camera if the subject is moving, for example? So all these, these basic principles of cinema you can, you can draw out of this very basic material, and and it, and discuss it with the with the students, and we don't just do this with children. We've been doing these workshops with postgraduate students for years. Probably done twenty or thirty workshops, intensive workshops over a week or ten days, and the principles of teaching are identical with the postgraduates and the ten year olds. You know. You said yesterday, I think, that uh, film or video might be more about the invisible than about the visi visible. As for cinema in general, I mean, it, it's, it becomes very obvious, if you think about it, that fiction films are not just about what we see, but they're about what people are feeling and how they're interacting and what's driving them, what problems they encounter in life, all things that are in many, many cases not visible. So the visible simply becomes a channel for going more deeply into the whole spectrum of life experience. So the, the sensory world, which is not necessarily visual, but which can be evoked through the visual and through the sound. So it would be about relationships, uh, or, or human relationships that involve um, habit and custom and emotion, uh, and um, values, beliefs, mm -hmm. all of which, um, you know, how do you film a person's religious beliefs? You can you can film the rituals they go through. But if you actually want to get at how they feel about about religion and their religious ideas, you have to find other means. Um, of course, sound is crucially important. And speech, you know, doesn't mean that words are not important in films. They're very, very important. So when we're trying to draw distinctions between written texts and films, we have to remember that films are full of words, and the titles on the screen, the, the words people speak. Uh, I would be interested a little bit more um, if, if we talk about this invisible domain of film, how is that interesting f 
for an ethnographer or an ethnographic filmmaker and what would be um, its relationship to ethnographic texts, for instance, as, or ethnographic, ethnographic writing as a, as a, as a practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I was saying yesterday or trying to say was that, uh, um, you know, film is created at the moment of encounter between filmmaker and subject. And that's imprinted in a way indelibly in the material which is rather different from writing a text where you reflect upon experience and uh, you can rewrite a paragraph and uh, um, make all sorts of changes. But with film, you're, at, you're stuck with the material you've shot and you can manipulate it in certain ways. You can, of course, through editing, rearranging the material commenting on the material but ultimately the material um, the raw material you've shot becomes part of the the fabric of the film mm -hmm. and, uh, and and in a sense you almost have to think of filmmaking as grasping um, concrete fragments of the world and mm -hmm. putting them together almost like objects, the way you would make a table or a chair, uh, which is rather different from writing. Mm -hmm. um, and then we draw all sorts of conclusions from these fragments that are shown to us. And the filmmaker puts them in a certain order for a certain reason, in order to, you know, influence the way we look at them. But um, I would be also interested in talking a little bit about the camera as an instrument. Um, and you mentioned yesterday the concept of Jean Rouge's concept of uh, what was it, cine, cine trance. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you can explain that a little bit. And um, and I guess the process of of of, of filmmaking in the field. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which, as I understood you yesterday, falls into two very different parts. One, the filming, and the other one, the editing afterwards. Um, maybe you can explain a little bit more mm -hmm. how, from an ethnographic point of view, um, this works as a practice. Well, I think Rouche's use of this term in cine trance is simply trying to express the kind of immersion that's possible when you're filming something. The kind of way in which it builds a, a bridge between, the camera builds a bridge between yourself and what you're observing. Um, and you almost lose a sense of yourself as outside the event. Mm -hmm. You somehow become absorbed in the event and your whole body is responding um, in a non-intellectual way. And I think it's very familiar to a lot of filmmakers, this sense of uh, um, hyper-sensitization to every small detail of what you're looking at. Uh, a kind of uh, 
it's, it's not fascination so much, it's a kind of uh, wonder at the reality that you're able to perceive in this um, heightened way. Um, and that um, that's obviously quite different from when you come back later and look at the material. Mm -hmm. Which is much more analytical somehow. Yes and no. I mean, mm -hmm. you can be very analytical in your filming. Mm -hmm. One half of your mind can be, <clears throat> where do I have to move next to get the next thing that's going to happen? I know that mm -hmm. this is going to happen, but how do I get from A to B? And do I have to go through an intermediate position to get there? Um, without disturbing people, for example. Um, and also analytical in the sense of what are the key the key moments in a process or the key, and that could be a social process or a, um, um, a, a material process like making something if you're going to film how somebody makes a pizza or repairs a bicycle what are the key shots that will show us those right. steps and in a social process it's if there's an argument, how, how do we know what they're arguing about, <clears throat> you know? Uh, and can we see the argument coming before it happens? Mm -hmm. um, or how is this person feeling about what's going on? Mm -hmm. And do we have to look at that person to get an idea of their... Mm -hmm expression on their face uh, at that moment so there's a it's highly analytical in one sense but the analysis is often becomes quite um, instinctive or intuitive is a better word intuitive you're making these decisions analytically but you're not having to process them intellectually necessarily Okay, then you come back to looking at your material when editing. And for me, it's... Um, well, it's a complicated process. Where do you begin if you have a, a lot of material? I suppose you begin with what you have, your general sense of what the film is all about and where do you want it to go. But... Uh, What's the point of attack? You know, where do you start? And for me, it's I, I begin by editing certain scenes as sort of um, discrete um, packages, you could say, that I may later change or I may move around in the, the, the larger structure of the film. And um, and then you, the other thing that happens is that you're looking at the same shots over and over and over again. And something happens in that process, something that you witnessed mm -hmm. at the time um, that you had a sense was important. But when you, you look at this material, over and over again, 
um, you start noticing all sorts of things about it, and mm-hmm. and particularly where people are involved, I think you get a sense of intimacy with the people mm-hmm. on the screen that is rather different from the intimacy you had when you were filming. Mm-hmm. You feel you know everything about them, every little. You can anticipate every little gesture because you've partly because you've seen it before, but mm-hmm. also because you. You know that person so well through the material, which is bizarre when you meet them again because you you feel you know them so intimately. Mm-hmm. You've spent hours and hours with them, days and days, mm-hmm. and they haven't. Their life has gone on. They mm-hmm. they say, "Oh yeah, I remember you. You were the filmmaker who was here. And how are you?" And uh, but they they don't share that. Um, quite powerful emotion that you you bring to the material mm-hmm. um, which happens in the editing room right and uh, this very much happens in the editing if you have depending on how much time you devote to editing but um, if you're taking your time and uh, this happens um, and then of course in editing you have many many choices and it becomes a kind of puzzle where you're putting pe- the pieces together and mm-hmm. you're trying to solve problems of comprehensibility or flow mm-hmm. and all the other elements that are important in a film which have to do with rhythm and mm-hmm. pacing and how the viewer is going to respond to the material Okay, yeah. Thank you, David McDougall, for the interview. Um, Yeah, thank you. Yeah, been nice to talk over (laughs) coffee and croissant. (laughs) (laughs)